Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may be joining in. This is Reverend Kay Mortimer, <coughs> excuse me, with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's edition of Bible Bites. Today, this is episode 285, and well, this is actually yesterday's episode 285, I'm sorry. And this is our reading today, in or for yesterday, was in Matthew chapter 24 through 25. I will come on again later and do today's episode here as well, here in just a little bit. But let's look at Matthew 24 and 25. Now, these deal with the topic of end-time prophetic things, eschatology, um, what what's going to happen when the Lord returns or that will lead up to the return of the Lord. And so, you know, it's a controversial topic and there's lots of different opinions about interpretations of some of these things. So I'm not intending to get into that <clears throat> in this particular lesson today or in this episode. <clears throat> Those things are handled uh, by other people, as well as, you know, things that I've done in, in regard to Revelation study and the Millennial Kingdom study that I've done and so forth. So, you know, I don't want to get into that, but I do want to tackle this because this is Jesus. He's, these are his words. Uh, we're reading through the Bible, and this is in the Bible. So we do not want to neglect what the Bible does, in fact, say. So let's talk about a little bit of this. First of all, first few verses of chapter 24... The disciples are enamored with the gold and the beauty of the temple, the great temple. And Jesus says to them, <clears throat> Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. Here again, another episode of Jesus in his prophetic ministry prophesying the destruction of the temple, which did in fact occur in A.D. 70. Then he goes on. He sits on the Mount of Olives. This is typically called the Olivet Discourse. And the other Gospels tell us, in another Gospel it tells us, that there were. this was a private meeting with four of his disciples, Peter, James, John, and Andrew. And they posed him these questions. When are these things going to happen, and what signs do we look for to signify your coming back? Now, when are these things, what things? The things that he just prophesied about beginning in chapter 23, verse 37 through 24, verse 2. So it's talking specifically about, you know, Jerusalem and how they're going to uh, reject him or they have rejected him. So he's leaving their house desolate uh, until they say... Baruch haba b'shem Adonai, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then he goes on down and he's prophesied about the destruction of this temple. So the disciples say, well, when is all this going to happen? And what's the sign of your, your coming? And so he, he proceeds to give them this Olivet Discourse that gives us some of the details that we can surmise about the prophetic word of what's going to come. Much of this has happened, is happening, but much of it has not yet happened and is yet to come in the future. So the very first thing he says is, do not be deceived. 
And he repeats that a few times. He talks about how deception will be rampant and how discernment from the Holy Spirit is going to be crucial so we are not deceived. He says, he prophesies many false messiahs will bring deception. And we are living in that day. <clears throat> and there is much deception. So we need to have the discernment of the Holy Spirit today. Now, he starts talking about some things that will come. He says, you know, you're going to hear wars and rumors of wars. Well, that's happened for centuries and for a very long time. Uh, he talks about famines, pestilences, earthquakes. Yes, those things have happened. And he says in verse 8, all these are the beginnings of sorrows, the beginning of sorrows. <coughs> That literally refers to early birth pangs, the beginning of sorrows, the beginning of the birthing process. And women that have had children understand what he's talking about there. And so I tend to call this stage of uh, pregnancy and delivery the Braxton Hicks contractions. Um, when you are pregnant with a baby, you know, there may be a few little contractions that will come here and there. They're sporadic. There's no um, uh, consistency to them. There's no intensity to them. But what they do is they tell you that the time is near when the labor will begin. It might be weeks later. It might be even a month later or whatever but it begins to alert you that you are in the season now and you've entered the stage where the baby is going to be coming. So that's what the Braxton Hicks contractions do. They tell you that you're getting much closer than you ever were before. And when he talks about this being the beginning of sorrows, that's what he's saying. When you begin to see all of these things in various places happening and a convergence of those things, <clears throat> then you know that the time is near and you're getting a whole lot closer than you ever were before. And we are living in the day when we can say that is true. I want to read <clears throat> verse 12. And because lawlessness will abound, the love of many will grow cold. <clears throat> now, we're living in a day of lawlessness. People are disdaining the law violating it, refusing it. They want to be unrestrained at every uh, turn. And Jesus said that that's going to grow and intensify. But he said also, the warning is, the love of many will grow cold. And it's interesting because that word literally is talking about uh, cooling something down by blowing on it. It's, it's like if you had a hot cup of soup or a hot cup of tea, and you would blow on it. You would gently blow on it to cool it down enough so that it didn't burn your mouth whenever you swallowed it. And that's the imagery, <clears throat> excuse me, in this word that means, and that's translated to grow cold. It literally means that you're taking your faith, <clears throat> your desire for the Lord, your fervency for God, your love for God and for people and for his word, and you're blowing on it. You're chilling it down. You're, you're call, instead of letting it be vibrant and fervent and hot, 
you're cooling it down. You're not wanting to offend. You're wanting to to be chilled and, and not be <clears throat> as fiery for the Lord. But he goes on and he says, but he who endures to the end, in verse 13, shall be saved. So he's saying that, you know, those that will stick it out, those that will continue to be fervent, those that are going to see this thing through and stay the course until the end, they will be saved. And the good news, probably the best scripture in this whole in this whole chapter that gives us some of the best news, at least until the coming of the Lord anyway, is this scripture, verse 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. And beloved, I believe we're living in that day as well, because through internet, through podcasts, through YouTube, through loads and loads of channels, as well as personal churches everywhere, uh, evangelism everywhere, missionaries, etc., in a variety of ways, God is getting the gospel of the kingdom preached and known to all the entire world everywhere. And all that word world um, uh, is talking about to all the nations. It's talking about to all the ethnos, ethnicities. And God is trying to reach every single person because he loves everyone. And he does not want anyone to perish. So before the judgment will come, that is coming, and it is coming, he is trying to reach everyone and give plenty of opportunity so that no one will perish. So he is extending the invitation to all. And I am a small part of that with these broadcasts, a very small part, but I am seeking to do my part. And so I just want you to know, if you need to come to Jesus, he is welcoming you. He is inviting you. He loves you and he does not want you to perish, but he wants to give you eternal life. And you can do that through a simple, simple prayer. Repent of your sins. Call out to him in prayer. Just just speak your heart. Call out to him. Ask him to forgive you of your sins. Believe in his atoning work for your salvation and receive him today. That is the invitation that all of us in his kingdom are seeking to extend all over the world as a witness for him in these days. Praise be to God. Then he foretells in the next few verses this thing that the scriptures call an abomination of desolation or the thing that brings desolation, the abomination that bringeth in desolation. In this, he's foretelling this. Now, some have understood the prototype for this to have occurred when Antiochus Epiphanes in the first century B.C., 2nd century B.C., did in fact institute an image in the temple and that, you know, prompted the Maccabeans to revolt and to be uh, zealous for the Lord. And so we had the Maccabean revolt and all of that, and all of that is history. And by the time of Jesus, that is historical. But it was a prototype of the coming one that we will call the Antichrist, that most Christians refer to as the Antichrist, who will set up an abomination, an, Im an image in the temple that Daniel prophesied about. And here we do see 
also in verse 15 that Jesus affirms that Daniel is a prophet by calling him Daniel the prophet. And so he talks about this abomination of desolation. And when that occurs, that is the sign for the Jewish remnant that is left in Jerusalem to flee to the wilderness. <clears throat> and God has a purpose for them to be in the wilderness. He is going to allure them to himself. It is there when many scriptures will come to pass. So he's going to fulfill Matthew 23, verse 39. He's going to fulfill Daniel eleven thirty-one, Daniel 12, 11, Daniel 9, 27, Isaiah 16, verses 3 through 4, and Hosea chapter 2, verse 14 through 23, as well as these two psalms, which may actually give us lyrics of some of the prayer that will be uttered by the Jewish people as they recognize and call upon Jesus as their Messiah in that time. And that is Psalm 79 and 80. Those may apply as well. So we're seeing Jesus prophesying here. We're also seeing him uh, connecting other prophecies from many other prophets and explaining how those things are going to come to pass. In verse 21 of chapter 24, Jesus calls this middle of Daniel's 70th week or this seven-year period as the starting point of what he calls the Great Tribulation. It is prophesied here by Jesus and in other places in the Psalms, Isaiah, other prophets, and the book of Revelation. He gives, again, warnings against false messiahs, and he says, if they say I'm here or I'm there, don't believe them. If they say I'm in the desert, don't believe them. If they say I'm in inner secret rooms and chambers, don't believe them. The true messiah's coming will be like the speed of lightning. And beloved, understand this, friend. There will be no time to repent then. The time is now. Salvation, the day of salvation for you today is now. Don't miss the time of your visitation and the time of your invitation from the Lord. Call out to him and be saved while you still can. Verse 29 through 31 gives us details, some of the details about the actual second coming of Jesus. There are plenty of other places as well, other prophets and uh, the book of Revelation that also speak about several of the details as well. But these are Jesus' own words here giving us some of those details. We find uh, verse 30. In verse 30, he says this. He talks about how the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds, on the clouds of heaven, with power and great glory. And that will fulfill Zechariah 12, verses 10 through 14, especially especially for the Jewish people. He gives, beginning in verse 32 of chapter 24 of Matthew, this fig tree prophecy. He speaks about the fig tree and how that will tell us that the time is near. This prophecy is talking to us about Israel's rebirth and, <coughs> excuse me, and the retaking of Jerusalem and the return and revival that began in the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s, their spiritual return to the Lord. <clears throat> Seeing that we are living in this generation tells us 
that the time is near. It is imminent and soon to come to pass. That is still true today, even if you've heard it all of your life. It is, in fact, the truth. In verse 34 of that chapter, he tells us that this particular generation that sees the fig tree coming, coming alive again and blooming again is going to be the final generation that is going to see all of these things fulfilled, including the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we don't have to wonder who the fig tree is. The scriptures tell us the book of uh, the prophet Hosea and the prophet Joel, two witnesses both tell us who the fig tree is, and it is Israel. I give you Hosea chapter 9 verse 10 and Joel chapter 1 verse 7 as scriptural references for that. Jesus tells us clearly no one knows the day or the hour when this will happen. And so we need to understand that. And this is based somewhat on that ancient Jewish wedding custom where only the father would determine when the house was ready for the bride to come and for the, for the Lord to, for the groom to go and get his bride. No one knows the day or the hour. That means we must be ready. Now, he begins in verse 37 of chapter 24, speaking about how it will be like the days of Noah. And there's much that can be studied in regard to that. But this is one of the signs. We can see it as the days of Noah. And, you know, you don't always think about this when you think about the days of Noah. But um, Noah was a preacher, according to Second Peter 2, verse 5. So in other words, the whole time he's building this ark, he is also preaching righteousness to the people and encouraging them and inviting them to call out to the Lord to repent and to also be saved. And so we see that happening today. Praise be to God. God is sending forth his message. As we talked about, the gospel is going forth into the ends of the earth. Praise be to God. And we're just delighted to be a small part in that, uh, in that message and in that participation. Praise the Lord. There is a, a pattern here that we also see in Noah for some other things concerning the end times. Like I said, there's much more that can be spoken about that. Let's continue on. In verse uh, 42 through 44 of chapter 24, this is the core of what he's telling us is our responsibility. He says, Watch, therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. So we are told to watch and to be ready. That word for watch is to stand guard. It's like a sentinel. It's like the they would have in the temple, they had watchers at night that would, you know, stand watch. And it's talking about the night watches, actually, that the Greek word is used of that. So it's, it's as if you're watching through the night to see when you're not expecting things to happen and yet you're trying to stay awake. You're keeping awake, you're being vigilant and giving attention to it. It reminded me of the book of Romans. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13, 
verse 11 through 14, speaking about how it's high time for the church to awaken out of sleep and to be watchful and to be vigilant about the work of the kingdom. So I call upon you as a member of of God's body, if you are uh, in the church, if you are a Christian, to be awake, wake up and realize that we are living in these days when Jesus will be coming soon. And what we are doing for him, we must do quickly. So I encourage you with that in Jesus' name. He talks in verse 45 and 46 about finishing strong. And how when we do that, the blessings and the rewards will come later. He also warns us against thinking that that the Lord is going to delay his coming. And we see more information about that by um, conferring with 2 Peter 3, 8, and 9. In chapter 25, he gives three basic parables that are kingdom parables. The first one is about the ten virgins, and this illustrates to us the importance of watching, not only watching, but also being ready. You had five wise and five foolish. The five wise were ready. They had foreseen, uh, they had seen fit to look ahead and to say, you know what? We don't know when he's coming. We got to get some extra oil because we don't want our oil running out. We need to be able to be ready right away. So they were very vigilant. They were very diligent. They were uh, very efficient in their preparations. But the foolish, they took the, the regular oil. They didn't care about getting extra. They were, they were lazy and they were not prepared. And so they were left out. And in verse 10, I want to read you verse 10. Because he is coming, like verse 6 says, the bridegroom is coming. Our bridegroom is coming. And it says in verse 10, And while they went to buy, talking about those foolish ones that ran out of oil, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. That's another thing that correlates with Noah, he told us about. Because if you'll remember, when Noah and all of them entered into the ark, God shut the door. Here again, we see that illustrated here as well. Beloved, it's important that we be ready at any moment because we do not know when our Lord is coming, but we do know he is coming and we need to have plenty of oil in our lamps and be ready to go. There is an importance of us knowing Jesus. And he gets to the point of this really in verse 13. He sums up that whole parable of the 10 virgins in verse 13. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. That's the whole point of that. Then he goes into the second kingdom parable in beginning in verse 14. And this is his uh, parable of the talents. And we have one person given five, one person given two, one person given one. And the one that had the five went out, worked it. He worked effectively. He produced with it. He toiled and he had an effect with his five, making five more. Well, the two, the two took theirs and they worked effectively. They produced, they toiled, and they had an effect with their two and they made two more. But the guy with the one, he went and hid it and he didn't work it. So now it comes time for them to give an account 
for what they've done. And so we find in verse 21 and verse 23 that the one with the five talents and the one with the two each received the same call, the same reward. I want to read that to you. He says, when the five come to him and he's made five more, verse 21, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. So then he gets an account from the guy with the two and he's made two more. Verse 23, his Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord, of your Lord. And so he received the same award. The one that had taken it and hidden it, he got rebuked. He got rejected. He was actually, um, his Lord said to him in verse 26, you wicked and lazy servant. And then he goes on and he talks to him about it. And he takes that talent from him, gives him, gives it to the one who has the 10. And that, that particular servant is cast out. Now, what's the story, the moral of this is that first and foremost, our, our work for the Lord, it's important for us to produce for his glory fruit that will remain fruit from whatever we are given some are given five talents some are given a greater opportunity greater responsibility it says in another place here it says that they were given these according to their ability not everybody can have a worldwide ministry not everybody can have a stage that's international let's say in a following of millions or whatever not everybody's called to that. Not everybody is able to do that. But those that are, are to be faithful with what they're given. And those that are given the two are to be just as faithful with their two. If their talent is primarily a local, small setting, they are still to be faithful with that and work in the field for the Lord's glory the best they can. And what this teaches us is that God rewards faithfulness. It's not about whether you or me or whoever can get on a stage and speak to, to the millions. It's about whether we'll be faithful with whatever our platform is, with whatever our ministry calling from the Lord is. Be faithful. Do not be like the wicked and lazy servant that went and hid it and buried it. Do what you can with what you are given, and God will reward you. And all of us are living to hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. I hope that is you as well. Then the third parable, kingdom parable that he gives, is about the sheep and the goat nations, his separation of the sheep and the goats. He speaks about this happening when he is sitting on his throne in the millennial reign in Jerusalem. And he talks about how these sheep are the ones who have served the Lord by feeding, clothing, giving drink to people, um, ministering to the sick and helping them, ministering to those who are in prison. He's looking for people that are serving other people. And if we serve the people by giving them food and clothes and ministering to the sick, visiting those who are in prison, doing the work that God wants us to do to touch and invest in people's lives, 
That's what he rewards. And those are the sheep nations who receive the reward of joy and blessings in God's kingdom. And the goat nations are those who did not do those things, did not minister to the people, did not do good for people. Whether they're believers or not, we're still to treat people right. We're still to do good to people and invest in them for the kingdom of God. And so they have the opposite end. They're cast out. And so we need to understand also from this parable how personally Jesus takes how we treat other people. And you may not have a sphere where you have a ton of people that you interject with and, in, and interact with. Maybe your sphere is small, but you're going to stand before the Lord and we're going to give an account to him for what we've done with the people he did put in our contact and in our um, circle of influence and in our um, family or f- relationships with. We need to treat them right and we need to understand that Jesus takes it personally. What we do to others is the same thing as if we're doing it straight to him himself. And so, beloved, that's how he feels about people and how he loves people. And so chapter 25, in essence, summarizes for us a lot of what he's prophesied about the end times. It gives us a summary sequence about Jesus coming and the resurrection the reward ceremony or the Bema seat, and then the sheep and the goat nations division and some of the judgments that we will all face and that the nations will face. I trust that this has been a blessing to you today and Lord willing that you can join us for future episodes of Bible Bites. I will be doing another episode later today on chapter 26, which is today's reading along the, the plan that I'm following. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.